guys, welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. We are really excited to be back with a jam-packed 2019 for you. Today, we are kicking off the new year with an interview with renowned nutritionist Robert Yang. Robert holds a Master's of Science in Human Nutrition and is a certified nutritionist and strength and conditioning specialist. Robert works with top athletes, golfers, and celebrity clients. We loved getting to pick his brain, dive into all the nitty-gritty talk about digestive health, and are so excited to share his knowledge and tips with you to help make 2019 your healthiest and most thriving year yet. We hope you enjoy this episode and learn as much as we did. Enjoy. So welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> um, so maybe just to start, can you talk to us a little bit about how you got into nutrition and fitness? Sure. You know, what's your personal journey? Yeah, so my personal journey uh, started a long time ago. Um, I just was very, I guess, um, just interested in exercise in terms of how to increase performance. That that was my whole thing as a, as a kid. And I, re- I mean, clear to whatever, 30, 35 years ago, you know, my dad had some weights and, and I wanted a weight set. So he said, you know, well, you got to work with these little weights. So they're like two, three pound weights. So I'm like, okay. So I diligently did that and they eventually bought me a weight set and then, you know, it just evolved from there, just trying to work out for sports. And, you know, at that time in what, 1988, you know, starting high school, the only thing were magazines, you know, uh, no internet, nothing of that sort. So you're just, I'm just trying to absorb any information I can, talking to guys at gyms and things of that sort. So I realized after working out, I wasn't gaining anything. So then I started looking at nutrition and, and it sort of evolved and from there. And so, um, you know, I went to school um, in Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and then I graduated, had my biopsychology degree, and I wanted to go into nutrition for my master's degree, but I got rejected. So at that point, I was already training people in college, uh, put myself through school, and then so I just said, okay, well, I'll just continue that route. And so from there, it just, it was part of working with people in terms of nutrition, and then um, I would say probably maybe 18, almost 20 years ago, then I started realizing, okay, there's this whole other aspect of nutrition, not just for building muscle mm. or strength or, you know, performance, but there's this whole aspect of functional medicine. Mm-hmm. So not just looking at the symptoms of someone, but looking at, okay, well, yes, they're having bloating or they're having constipation or diarrhea, but why are they having it? Mm-hmm. So really getting to the etiology of the, of the issue. Mm. And so that's where functional medicine really 
I was like, wow, I was just super fascinated with it, my own passionate interest in it for myself. Um, but then, of course, as I started learning the information, then I started getting people <laughs> seeking me out. And yeah. so that's how it kind of evolved and changed. And so um, obviously, you know, we're sitting in my evaluation room and I have a full-size gym, but then I have that other aspect of, I tell people I wear different hats. So sometimes today I'm the strength coach and then the other days I'm the nutritionist that practice functional medicine. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that you have a real functional medicine sort of like approach to working with nutrition. Absolutely. How many, how did you get like exposed to that initially, especially Mm -hmm. that many years ago? Like nowadays, some people know what that means because there are more doctors, Western doctors even, on the forefront of like the functional nutrition sort of, you know, aspect of like, Mark Hyman talks a lot about mm-hmm. it. And, and, and so there's just more understanding and awareness from a mainstream perspective right. now about what that is. Yeah. But how did you first get exposed to that? Yeah. So that was an interesting journey for me. Um, you know, it's funny, my wife always makes fun of me because when I first started you know, working and working with clients. I said, all I want to do is work with athletes. All I want to do with professional athletes, you know. <laughs> and and at that time, it's so, it's just a naive sort of goal, I guess you could say, um, because, you know, you have to have certain connections and who you work with and who you know. And so I started studying um, Paul Check's work, mm-hmm. uh, the Check Institute. And so um, at that time, there was only exercise. So it was corrective exercise in terms of dealing with people with, lumbar disc bulges, spondylitis, spondylolisthesis, scoliosis, um, cervical issues. And so I really dove into that in that period of time, my sort of educational process and dealing with a lot of orthopedic rehab okay. um, clients. And so as I dove into that, um, the I started teaching for the Czech Institute as well. And so they also had an offshoot program with nutrition called Holistic Life Coach. Mm. And so Based off that information, um, one of the the key, I guess, um, mentors was a a man named William Timmons, and he started the uh, company called BioHealth Labs. Mm. And so basically, they were a functional lab company. So they were testing everything from stool to doing saliva collections for hormones, um, organic acid testing. And so after that, I, I attended one of his seminars, and after that point, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so interesting way above beyond what I thought nutrition would be, mm-hmm. um, especially with the testing. Because one thing that Paul Cech always taught me in terms of, from an exercise perspective, was if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Mm. You know, So if you're just randomly doing exercise, you're just randomly doing exercise. Mm. Yeah. Like when I design a program for someone, there's a program designed and it, there's every aspect of the program. So how many reps they do, sets, tempo, intensity, um, in the order of exercise, there's always a reason for it. And that's always what I've taught people that attended my courses. And so in that same fashion with nutrition, it's also, you have to assess the person. Mm -hmm. So that's where the functional uh, medicine paradigm comes into place where, okay, we're doing a stool test. You Mm got to collect your poop yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because we don't know what could be causing your issue. You know, Mm -hmm. and I tell people, it's just the same Whereas in terms of fashion, you know, like bell bottoms will come, well, they're going to come back, you know, <laughs> like overalls are coming back, you know, like, and so it's kind of like that same thing, even with functional medicine where like, you know, 10 years ago it was, oh, everybody has candida, you know, yeah. or now it's everybody has SIBO, you know, 
I like, literally just got diagnosed. I just finished like a, for, a course of antibiotics. Right, right. So I mean, yeah. so but what my point is saying, look, you know, let's do the stool test to say, okay, yeah, you actually have an overgrowth of candida. Yeah. Or no, you have enterococcus and you have E. coli, you know, overgrowth, mm, or right. you have a parasite. Yeah. Like we don't know unless we actually do the testing. Tests. You know. So. I just had even my um. My GP, she, I just went in for like a normal physical recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said, um, we were talking a little bit about gut health. Right. Because I was telling her I was having all of a sudden like these issues that I had never had before. Mm-hmm. And I have a very clean diet. Yeah. What I would, you know, in my own research and stuff that I've right. done. And, and what's just also trial and error, what's worked for me. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, I was having like... IBS essentially for the first time in my life mm-hmm. and I was like this is weird this is wrong I don't know what that like what this is and then she was saying though but over the course of sort of her own medical career she says she thinks that the most sort of amazing and kind of important work that she's seen being done is on the gut and also she was talking specifically with stool transplants right. that are done now right which like that can help a lot of people right um but it was interesting to see her especially as like a traditional sort of western doctor talk about all that other yeah, stuff yeah, which yeah. it's nice to know that it's sort of on the consciousness yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean it's i guess your your you know original question is well how do you find out this information yeah. you know 20 years ago and so um i mean nowadays it's so easy to find information and most people are in the know in terms of what functional medicine is and they have an idea of that yeah. which is a good thing uh, that be, people are more aware of it. So um, hopefully um, the medical community will look at that more and, mm. and, and start doing stool testing and, yeah. and, and appropriate testing to figure out what's going on. Because typically, you know, the, a lot of clients that I see, they, they've gone to the medical route, not to say medical route's bad in any way, um, but typically there's a lot of people that fall in between yeah. the, the, yeah. the cracks, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so they may look at you and Ali, oh, you well, you're healthy. You're young. Your skin looks good, and you shouldn't have any digestive issues. Right. You know, but little do they know. <laughs> you know, like I'm flat in the morning, but I look six months pregnant at night. At night. Yeah. You know, and they go, well, no, that can't be because you look fine. You yeah. know, where they're looking at the extreme of okay, this person could be overweight, or they look right. unhealthy, or you know, they just have outright diarrhea all day long. Well, then okay, then that's something's wrong with you. It's been interesting going through my own experience with this stuff as we're learning more about it just through interviews and, you know, just our own research because I was like, oh, I get to now apply some of the new things that I'm learning um, to myself, which sort of was, I don't know if like an added bonus is because it's been, you know, uncomfortable, but I definitely, um, it's definitely helped me sort of expand my own knowledge base or try to start expanding my own knowledge base, working both with like holistic acupuncturist and Chinese medicine doctor and then my GI doctor too. Mm -hmm. And seeing, you know, let's do something. Let's sort of like find what works for me. Right. And they've both been wonderful and they've both been collaborative. So that's good. But some people just, unfortunately, I think just live with it as their normal. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, very true. Um, I think, unfortunately, that's sort of the case for a lot of people. So, 
I just give the example when we're talking about gut health in terms of constipation, mm-hmm. where now nowadays, because it's so uh, common, you know, doctors will say, well, if you don't have a bowel movement for two to three days, you know, that's normal for you. Well, mm-hmm. when we look at it in terms of normal physiological function, we're talking migrating motor complexes and peristalsis and how your body should, you know, move stool and when you should, you know, move your bowels that is not normal physiological function. Mm. That means you're backed up. But people think it's, because it's so common, they think it's quote-unquote normal at that point, which really it's not. And so that's why it's so important. I tell people, look, I mean, like I just met you both, and (laughs) I'll be, if you're my clients, be like, okay, so how often do you poop? I'm sorry, I just met you, but we're talking about your poop. (laughs) But it's that important where you have to say, okay, well... If you're not having a bowel movement every single day and, you know, how are you having your bowel movement and what does it look like and, you know, all those other factors, then we have to find out, well, why, why? Yeah. why are you not having that? It's not because maybe you just don't have enough fiber. Yeah. Yeah. Or just waiting until you get really sick like Ali did or whatever, you know, right. get SIBO or get mm-hmm. these different things, which I think a lot of people wait to do. Right. It's like you don't go to the doctor unless you're sick, but... yeah. There's a lot you can do in between. Exactly. And I think too, yeah, like a lot of people know or have heard of functional medicine, mm-hmm. but I think gut health specifically is so interesting. And from what I understand, not super researched medically, right. um, why could you maybe share why gut health is so important too? Like why we should care about how yeah. much we're pooping or whatever, right, you know, like right. just what's going on in our gut. Yeah. I think one quote by uh, Eli Mechnikov, he's a Russian pathologist. And mm-hmm. His quote was, death begins in the colon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, you, you don't really think about digestion because it's, it's an autonomic process, meaning it's on autopilot, right? Yeah. Like you eat your food and then yeah. it digests for you. You're not really consciously thinking about it. Yeah. Now you can influence it absolutely by, you know, breathing and stress and your thoughts and all sorts of other factors. Um, but I think, um, you know, with digestion, um, it's so, it's kind of like it's got its hands everywhere, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about, you know, your digestive wellness and your, and your gut and how it's functioning, um, it will affect your hormones drastically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we talk about hormones, Obviously, that's a huge topic, right? When we're talking about hormones, it could be anything from a woman in terms of her estrogen, progesterone, and her menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. For a male, it could be their testosterone levels and you know, possibly going through andropause. And then we also have the adrenal glands, mm-hmm. which are the glands that help you to deal with stress. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I try to explain how um, the digestive system heavily influences hormones is that we talk about stress. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, stress obviously comes in, you know, three main forms, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, mm-hmm. um, in terms of those type of stressors in general. And so I tell people that, you know, let's say if they have a highly stressful job and they have to travel a lot and, you know, they're dealing with their families and everything else, um, at least with those stressors, you know, they go to bed at hopefully 10 o'clock and they wake up at six. Mm-hmm. So they have eight hours of the day where... They're not consciously thinking about it, consciously being stressed about it mm-hmm. during those eight hours. 
the interesting thing is with the digestive system is, for example, it could be SIBO, it could be candida overgrowth, or it yeah. could be parasite, whatever it is, is that that overgrowth of that pathogen is with you mm. 24 hours a day, yeah. seven days a week. Mm. So because of that, you don't ever get a break from it. Mm-hmm. So if you've been constipated for you know years on end and you've only been going to the bathroom three times a week, then the backup is basically causing an overgrowth of potential whatever pathogen is overgrowing. And then when you sleep, you should be resting. Your growth hormone should be going up. Your melatonin should be going up to help you recover. But because you have this stress in your GI tract of this overgrowth, your body's basically going, whoa, you're being chased by the tiger why you should be sleeping and resting. Mm-hmm. So you get an abnormal release of cortisol while you're sleeping. Wow. And then if it shows symptomatically, then you're like, oh my God, why am I up? It's 2 a.m. Why um, am I up? And people go, I don't understand. I should be sleeping. And that's because the body is being smart. It has a great strategy to try to get rid of the infection or knock the numbers down. Wow. It's, it, I, I just remind people, I say, well, Remember when last time you had a fever? Mm. Yeah. And they go, well, yeah. I go, what happens to your fever during the day? What well, kind of goes away? And then what happens at night when you go to bed? Goes up. Goes up. Because mm-hmm. the body's trying to deal with the infection. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a similar process. Wow. That's so interesting. And it's yeah. like, it's sort of a reminder that the body knows what to do. It wants The body to. is the most, like, it's so intelligent. And it wants yeah. to work for us. So what, Absolutely. how do you coach your clients or work with your clients to help them with their digestion, but also with that stress, you know, if they have that kind of really stressful life and environment. Oh, lifestyle, yeah. Yeah, and they're waking up at two in the morning every night and they can't sleep. Right, right. What are your tips for dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a really tough one because, I mean, I just got off a call before you guys got here. And so this particular person was, um, has a full-time job, Mm -hmm. but is also transitioning into a different one Mm -hmm. of what career path she wants to take. Mm-hmm. So, in that particular person's case, they're juggling three, or four balls at the same time, right? So, yeah. they've got that sort of stressor, and so I joke around and tell people, "Well, all you need to do is quit your jobs and <laughs> stress anymore." Yeah, I don't have to work. But, but then that's a whole other stressor, yeah. right? So, um, I, I I tell people, "Look, that situation is probably not going to change." Yeah. You know, so let's you know if we need to. Um, you know, let's focus on med- maybe meditating if you can mm-hmm. or changing your mode of exercise. And we can talk about that in terms of, you know, the nervous system and, mm-hmm. and, and exercise. But um, I just tell them, look, um, you know, your tests show that you've got these overgrowths going on. You're not producing enough pancreatic enzyme. So let's work on your digestive system. Mm-hmm. Because at least, let's say if they have four bacteria that are overgrown in a parasite, let's say we knock down like three quarters of them. Mm. That in itself is taking a stress out of your system. Yeah. So if you can imagine, let's say a bucket of water, and so that's your stress bucket. Well, you don't really um, notice any sort of stress reactions or symptoms until that bucket overflows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, all we're trying to do is try to poke some holes in that stress bucket to try to just drain it a little bit and release it so that you're not overflowing. Because most people... They're fine, they're fine, they're fine for, it could be years, decades. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, they have a massive stressor. Mm-hmm. Whether they go to Tahiti and they get a parasite infection or their mom or dad dies. And that's sort of the, 
straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes yeah. sense. I mean, I can sort of so. relate to that a little bit in even my own thing. Like, I've always had... One thing I've always had was, like, really good digestion. <laughs> like, I did Whole30 in August, and I felt awesome. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, like, feeling great. But I had, like, a massive transitional summer where I moved back into the country, and I was getting uh, a new yeah. job, and I had gone through relationship changes and all these things, and then juggling multiple jobs at the same time mm. because, like, freelance work. And all of that was within the same couple months. Right. And then all of a sudden... So your sudden, bucket overflowed. My bucket just overflowed. Exactly. And I was more susceptible, right? Yeah. So... Exactly. It, you know, it makes sense. And I was like, I don't feel stressed because I do a lot to manage it. You know, I sleep well. I have a spiritual yeah. practice, all that stuff. But it doesn't matter if you have all the stressors. Right. Like, you can manage it to a certain And some amount. sort of bacterial overgrowth right. with yeah. it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, I have a question, too, about, like, gassiness and mm-hmm. gas specifically. Since we're talking since, about... No, just yeah. because yeah. I think it goes... Yeah, just when we're talking about digestion. Because I think these are things... Like, let's be real... I'm sure everyone listening, no one talks about like poop and gas and yeah. Yeah. farting, farting and, and yeah. like all this stuff, but it's, right. it exists and it happens. And um, so like, what is normal and what, <laughs> I don't know if that's even like a proper question, but yeah. you know, what is normal? Because I've read too, like gassiness can be caused by food that's not being digested properly right. or um, maybe a food that you're allergic to, but you know, how do you manage what is normal and what you should maybe see a doctor for before waiting until yeah. something goes wrong? Right, right, right. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in terms of, you know, you hear people talk, well, gosh, they did a study and, like, people fart, like, eight times, nine times a day, whether they know it or not, you know, and that's kind of the, the normal. Yeah. Um, I think it will, there's maybe some individual differences mm-hmm. in regards to that, um, but I think most people know if they're, more gassy than they should be. Mm. Right. You know, they kind of know like what their normal is. What their normal is, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, <laughs> there's different scents to gas. You know, it's like right. some people go, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> it sounds like, I mean, it smells like an animal is killing me. <laughs> you know? or, or right, like the yeah. other ones, like the egg fart, right? Sulfur or yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And really, what it comes down to is okay, what's going on in the digestive tract? And mm-hmm. typically, it's most likely that there's probably some fermentation process that's going on, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, you go around to Encinitas in this Lakati area, I mean, you can go to half of the, like, nice restaurants and they'll have kombucha, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Like, kombucha's yeah. everywhere now, right? Yeah. So remember, when the way kombucha is made is that the bacteria take the carbohydrate, they ferment it, and that expands it, right? So if you shake kombucha, it's like... It's going to explode. Soda pop is yeah. going to explode. <laughs> that's basically what's happening in your body. Mm. So... If you have the potential for, it could be bacterial overgrowth, it could be a parasite, or it could be candida or yeast. Mm-hmm. They're taking basically, typically, it's sugars. Um, it could be the starches and then fiber sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they're taking that and they're excessively fermenting it. And then that's what's creating the mm-hmm. gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for most people. And obviously, there's the there's the food sensitivity component as well. Right. right? Like some people can't do the legumes. The, yeah, they can do legumes, they, you know, or the, let's say there's maybe an intolerance. So maybe right. they have they have a lactose intolerance, right? So they can't digest the lactose okay. because they don't have the lactase enzyme. Yeah. So that could be part of it as well. So that's always a really difficult one because it's so multifactorial, mm-hmm. you know. And one other thing that people don't think about is that maybe they're just a really fast eater. Mm. you know yeah like for me i tend to eat fairly fast and my oldest i'm like are you still eating 
you know? That's like us. Like, that's us. I eat so fast compared to her. I'm like, I how do you fun. still have that? Right. And, and, and I mean, like, it's, it's a joke because it's like, oh, he's going to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> he just ate. I mean, he's, it's like he has a hollow leg, but he just has really good digestion mm-hmm. from the time he was a baby. And so he eats really slow. Um, and he chews food really well. And so what I'm getting at is that sometimes in a stressed state, people don't chew their food enough, mm-hmm. right? So then that just has just more of a burden on the digestive system. Mm. So what foods are good to eat for your belly? You know, if someone mm. just really wants to improve their improve gut their digestion, yeah. improve their gut health, where, yeah. I mean, where would, if they wanted to start with food, what right. are like some good foods to impl- yeah. incorporate? I mean, obviously the first one that comes to mind, any sort of fermented type food, mm-hmm. right? So sauerkraut, kimchi, you know, any of the sort of fermented veggies would probably be the, mm. the good place to start, yeah. you know, um, because basically, obviously you're getting the probiotics, but you're also getting a food that's also been broken down as mm. well. So I would say that would be a start. Um, the other one is more of a recommendation to go with more cooked vegetables. Mm. So if you're reactive to something like maybe, you know, sauerkraut or fermented veggies, as well as raw veggies, um, especially if you have a compromised digestive system, then I find it much more beneficial to cook all your veggies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an idea that with raw food, it's just healthier for you, right? It's better for you. It's been less processed, mm-hmm. which it is to a certain degree. But if you have a compromised GI tract and maybe you don't produce enough enzymes um, or you just have a predisposition to react to some of the lectins in certain vegetables, mm-hmm. when you heat them, then it helps deactivate them. So maybe instead of you being, you know, bloated like eight or nine out of 10, you might have maybe like a three to four Mm -hmm. out of 10. So I don't expect to completely resolve people's issues with Mm -hmm. cooking their veggies, but I think it can make a big difference Mm -hmm. and and to, you know, sort of knock the numbers down where they're okay. I'm definitely noticing a difference when I cook my my vegetables. And it takes less work. It's like less um, work on the on the digestive tract, right? Yeah, yeah. It's already a little bit broken. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty much just trying to, um, give the digestive system a little bit of a break yeah. when you do mm-hmm. eat food. And I so, notice that for me. I mean, yeah. I'm a veggie. Like, I love veggies. In mm-hmm. fact, with the SIBO, I had to, like, lay off some of them for right. a while, right? Yeah. But, um, but I do notice that, like, slightly blanched or cooked, like, lightly cooked, not like, you know, I'm not going to, like, make soggy broccoli or anything. Right, like, right. Lightly cooked Not like veggies. collard greens yeah, where it's yeah, just, yeah. like, mush or mush. something, yeah. Definitely is... I just want it more than I want mm-hmm. the raw stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just feels better. Mm. But yeah. 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 It's interesting. And I think too, so obviously for stress management, right, exercise mm-hmm. is great. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes the idea of exercising or adding exercise can stress people out who yeah. are busy. Right. So <laughs> what type of fitness do you recommend or how much physical activity should we be getting yeah. regularly? Yeah. yeah. For like the average person, because I know you deal with like a lot of high performance athletes, yeah. which is a different <laughs> situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, that's interesting. I mean, like, you know, you'll see jerseys on the wall in my studio with who I work with, but um, I do work with, you know, general population people, I guess you mm-hmm. could say that, or kind of in between where yeah. maybe they're just working out three times a week. Yeah. You know, um, I think what's really important for people to understand in terms of, um, exercise in terms of, you know, affecting hormones and, and the digestive system is that 
one thing I've noticed clinically is working with a lot of different, I mean, I would say probably 95% of my gut clients are females, mm. right? And you look at research in terms of IBS, like it's basically almost three to one ratio, female to male mm. in terms of gut That's health, yeah. you know? Um, and so what I've noticed is that with some of the women that um, are exercising quite often and very, very vigorously. Mm-hmm. So whether it's hit training or doing CrossFit mm-hmm. or, you know, those type of workouts, they're noticing, God, I'm so bloated after my workouts. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's a component of, okay, maybe what are they doing pre, pre-workout or intra-workout in terms of maybe supplements or whichever that could be irritating the intestinal tract. But one of the things that we have to realize is, yes, exercise can be one way a stressor, but... Um, or a, excuse me, a de-stressor, mm-hmm. um, but it can be a stressor as well. Mm-hmm. So for people, if you're noticing that, you know, you do a HIIT training class or you do Orms Theory or whatever, right. and you're noticing, oh my gosh, I'm like three, four months pregnant after yeah. that, that bloated look, distension look, then that's a sign that you probably need to back off an exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I would tell people, look, at that moment of time, Instead of you training six days a week really, really hard and vigorous, I would say, okay, let's negotiate. So, you know, because sometimes it's, exercise can be very addictive, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I say, look, still do three times a week really hard, but the other three times a week, I want you to find a nice, soft Hatha yoga class mm-hmm. or like Tai Chi, Qigong, yeah. something where you're actually breathing mm. And you're moving really, really slow. Yeah. So, and I tell people, look, if you go to a yoga class and it's hot yoga, combat yoga, and you're sweating like crazy and your heartbeat's going, you know, beating out of your chest, that means you're going in a fight or flight state. Yeah. You're going more sympathetic nervous yeah. system. So we need to shift you more. On the other side, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, yeah. which is what we call your rest and digest nervous system. Um, obviously, we all know everybody's stressed to the max, yeah. right? We're coming, you know, it could be holidays, could be your stress, whatever. So we need to shift people more to the parasympathetic state, which is going to help resolve their digestive issues. Yeah. And also, can, you know, if you just breathe, I mean, I, I tell, teach people to do what we call box breathing, which basically means... Um, you can get your breathing down to breathing in four, four seconds in, mm-hmm. pause for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, pause for four seconds. So basically for every minute, you're taking three and a half breaths. Yeah. Right? That in itself, it slows your heart rate down. Yeah. It slows your, your blood pressure goes down. Yeah. So you can shift that within a couple minutes. That's pretty amazing. And those are yeah. little things yeah. that yeah. everybody can do at any Absolutely. time. Yeah. I know even like the... Um, Apple Watches Uh have those, have you seen that? I don't have one, but I've done it with people, like the breathing thing Mm. where it tells you can like set this reminder and it it puts like one of these kind of, I don't know, these visual tools on the watch and it shows you, it gives you like time breath and you breathe in with Mm. it and it slows your breathing down Yeah, and just like a reminder to do that. You know, if you're having a stressful day through your work, throughout your work day, um, but the box breathing, you don't need anything to do. You just no, need I mean, I've, I've literally have, have had CEOs that I've consulted and obviously they have, you know, their own office mm-hmm. and they have a yoga mat rolled up, you know, underneath the couch. Yeah. And I say, okay, after your, you know, your one o'clock meeting where you're meeting with everybody and you're 
about to pull your hair out, close the door, take five minutes, lie on your mat, and do your box breathing. Wow. Yeah. That's great advice for everybody. And it will shift your physiology. Yeah. Like you do that. Like most people, they have um, probably a difficult time doing that because they might be rapidly breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, there's also how you breathe as well. Like, you know, you don't want to have an inverted breathing pattern where you're breathing through your chest. Right. Because then you're not properly uh, ventilating through your diaphragm. Yeah. Um, but um, but as long as they can breathe through their belly and use their diaphragm properly, I mean, you can change someone's physiology within a couple minutes. Yeah, it's true. I think I'm a, I'm a singer by by profession. Yeah. And we did an episode actually with um, someone who's a vocal coach and she yeah. trains people who like do crazy international tours. She coaches like you know, yeah. around the world. She's talking about the importance of the breath. I mean, obviously for singing you need it, but right. but how important it is just as far as like our our mental and emotional well-being mm. too and that when you when you do that and you actually are giving oxygen to your cells, you're, you're sort of like, it's another way of fueling, yeah, fueling absolutely. you. And we, we forget about it. It's the most basic thing we need for life. And yeah. it's like, but we're not we taught how here to sometimes. Yeah. We're not taught Correct. or reminded no, how yeah. to breathe. And yeah. it's, it's challenging. Even, I think that's a great start because just taking five minutes in your car or like, at work, outside yeah. your office, to have that moment of breath and quiet, it can be really challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. So it's a good, I think it's a really important yeah. good place to start. Um, and, you know, as we talk about digestion and stress as well, um, I know you also talk about, you know, alcohol consumption as well, right? right? Which yeah. I think is something you do, really... <laughs> you do videos on YouTube. You do, I watch your videos. But I think it's important, especially, you know, with the new year, right? A lot yes. of people have had very indulgent holiday seasons and maybe are now feeling the effects of that. But I think it's so interesting because I was reading somewhere too that like the millennial generation is consuming more wine than any generation before. And I think the way we consume alcohol is so different. (laughs) So I just wanted to know, you know, for anyone who's maybe thinking of doing a dry January or taking a break or just somebody who just wants to know how alcohol is affecting their body. Right. You can speak on that. Yeah. Yeah. What happens physiologically? (laughs) Yeah. Physiologically. I mean, you know, I, I've always battled, um, people cause you know, I get a client, well, my doctor says I should drink one or two glasses of wine every night. Right. <laughs> That's a nice it's, doctor. It's, yeah, it's, it's healthy for me. You know, quote unquote research has showed that, you know, mm-hmm. it helps this and that. And the reality is, I mean, and obviously the main topic is gut health digestion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So from a gut perspective, I mean, any alcohol you consume, doesn't matter if it's wine or if it's, you know, vodka, it's gluten-free, you know, that sort of thing. Right. <laughs> But the thing is, with alcohol itself, it's highly inflammatory to, to mm. your intestinal tract. Mm. So, and the problem with that is that, um, you know, as you drink alcohol, it's down to your esophagus, stomach, and goes your small intestine. Well, your small intestine is um, what we call a semi-permeable membrane. Mm. So, if you can visualize, uh, we have what we call tight junctions in, in the small intestine. So, it's the lining of the small intestine. And you can think of the tight junctions as sort of like the riot police. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, someone's about to, you know, riot in downtown San Diego or whatever, they're called the riot police out and they're all, you know, um, abutted against each other with their shields and everything. And so, you know, they're trying to prevent the rioters from looting a store, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the same basically idea behind these tight junctions in your small intestine. 
Well, when you drink alcohol, it's literally like those rioters throwing a cocktail bomb. They throw a cocktail bomb, and boom, it explodes on two guys. You know, the police officers, unfortunately, that makes a hole. Those guys are injured. Well, that's literally what you're doing with alcohol consumption mm. to the tight junctions. Okay. You're causing this mini hole to open up. Mm. And then you have your wine, and then you have your hors d'oeuvres, whatever it is, right? And maybe you're not chewing your food properly. You're eating really fast, too. Then those potential food particles can migrate from the small intestine straight into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And that is an emergency state to your immune system. Then the fire alarm goes off. Woo, woo, woo. Invader, invader, invader. Yeah. So whatever you do eat, you can almost self-induce a food sensitivity by drinking a lot of alcohol. Wow, and food. that's really interesting. Right. That's so interesting. We've so. talked about this because we both challenged ourselves. We both drink, mm-hmm. um, but... We've both done dry months, like where we've done yeah. 30 days at least. You did like four months like or four something. Months, right? Wow. And um, I, I'm not a big drinker, mm. but I was so surprised how I felt after mm. not drinking for 30 how days. How did you feel? Amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of a weird thing. Like I really had to sort of examine my relationship with right. it because it can be so social in, yeah. in our culture. Absolutely. And... And that's okay, but to know, like, you know, to learn even today what it does, um, it doesn't surprise me to hear what you say, because even occasionally, like, if I'm getting sick or I feel like a cold's coming on and there's been, like, a social night out, whatever has ever put, like, me over the edge was, like, having a couple drinks or something like that, you know, that kind of, like, immune, you're like, "Mm, you're done. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the knowledge is just so important, because why I stopped, I think it was all summer. I think it was from May to September that I just yeah. decided I wasn't yeah. going to drink because right. it just didn't. I was learning more about nutrition and everything we're talking about. Yeah. I just wanted to see what would happen and I say I felt so much better and yeah. it was actually my 30th birthday <laughs> that brought me back to right. uh, I think it brought me back your yeah. 30th birthday <laughs> too. It brought everyone back because you know but I think Again, just having the knowledge and knowing, it helps you make those decisions of, hey, if I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight, this is what it's doing to my body. And how can I counteract that by maybe not mindlessly eating the hors d'oeuvres or... um, Right. Just having the awareness of what's happening. I think because there's so much... And I'm speaking for myself too, (laughs) prior to like doing that experiment. Yeah. Where there's sometimes it's so mindless. Right. Oh, I'll have a second glass. Oh, you know? And it's like... Yeah. And, and, um, and it's so social and so removing that allowed me to really be aware of not only the emotional attachments that can go along with it, but, um, but just the mindlessness of like, oh, sure. (laughs) Not just like, oh, I'd really like a glass. I'd really enjoy a glass tonight. Not just because it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. And now, I mean... I don't know if you want to know more, but I, whenever <laughs> sure, I'm lecturing, I, I, I tell people, do you want to know more about oh, fiction? Yeah. And people are like, yes. Yeah. And people, other people are like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, from a digestive perspective, that's, you know, what it does to you. And obviously that's a massive inflammatory factor. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about, you know, bloating, yeah. you know, and, you know, feeling like you're six months pregnant, like that will definitely induce that for sure. Yeah. You know, and then your body needs time to heal from that. Mm-hmm. And so that's from a digestive perspective. Now, when you look at it from a hormonal perspective, mm-hmm. it's a whole, totally whole different yeah. ballgame. 
there's one study that was done particularly just on wine. Okay. And so they showed that with one glass of wine, your growth hormone at night decreases by 63%. Mm. With two glasses, it decreases by 81%. So much. So pretty much... <laughs> you're decreasing more than half of your growth hormone output at night because that's when your body produces with the most right. growth hormone when you sleep. And we actually did an episode on growth hormone, so we have with yeah. Dr. Claire a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we have a little bit of an understanding of right. what that does. Right. And so, you know, it does that and then it also depresses your thyroid function mm. at night. And then we haven't even gone to how it affects your blood sugar and then how it affects your cortisol right. levels. So wow. really, you know, the best time to drink Wine is in the morning, but if you do that, you have other issues, right? So, (laughs) so I mean, so so that's why it's you know from a digestive perspective, hormonal perspective, from blood sugar control. I mean, it can really screw with your your physiology. Mm. So, do you recommend it being like a special occasion, or just a nap? Or like, what do you recommend? Yeah, are you just like? Or are you, avoid it as much as you well, can. Pe- you know, people will laugh at me because we will invite, you know, our friends over and they'll bring a nice bottle of wine and my wife and we just kind of smile and laugh. We don't drink, you know? Yeah. Like we might drink once a year. You yeah. Know, we go to a wedding or something right, like, like that. Right, like a toast or something. But, it, you know, for my wife and I, we'd rather have like a gluten-free cookie or ice cream yeah. or something like that. Like that, that would be our... That's your indulgence. Yeah, yeah, my indulgence, right? So... From my perspective, I wouldn't say it's ever not ever drink, but I would say the first thing is obviously hydrate first. Mm-hmm. Like drink enough water, make sure you drink you know a few few glasses before you go out and have your your wine or your alcohol. Definitely eat before if you can. Like mm-hmm. that'll make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, just eating before because then obviously it slows everything down, mm-hmm. um, so it's not going to affect your physiology as much. You'll still have the inflammation factor, but you know. If people enjoy a glass, you know, once or twice a week, I would say that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in the context of, you know, having some massive digestive issues, then you have mm-hmm. to re-examine that. Go, okay, might need to pull the reins in and like, mm-hmm. okay, not drink for let's say your four months, yeah. you know, and then okay, when we get you healthier, then okay, let's see what your body can handle without having any sort of symptoms right. and that's causing bad. your bucket to overflow. Yeah, no, my husband doesn't drink, and okay. he much prefers the sweets. And like that's his. Right. Like he's like, if I'm gonna it's enjoy right. something, it's yeah. gonna be dessert. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but he just yeah. doesn't like the cheese. Okay, well, tell your husband we'll go out. Yeah, and have you guys dessert. Have some dessert. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm sure too. A lot of people listening have had very indulgent holiday seasons, and mm. maybe feel uncomfortable in their gut, or right. feel very bloated, or yeah. their skin is breaking out. Yeah. So, what are some like tips that you would give? you know, your clients or anyone listening, how to kind of reset in the new year. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the biggest factor in even right, you know, obviously if you've already feel fat and you feel gross (laughs) and you're feeling low energy, um, the biggest factor is, is I would say water first. Mm -hmm. Like, and even if you're in the midst of, oh man, I'm still going to eat bad tonight because I have this function and they got to go to the family function or whatever Mm -hmm. later in the week, still start your day with water, Mm -hmm. you know, 25% 25% of your total intake for the day, you know, I usually recommend half your body weight in ounces of water okay. per day. So, you know, do the math. If you're 100 pounds, you drink 50 ounces for yeah. the day. Mm-hmm. And so 25% of that first thing in the morning. Okay. So about so 25 ounces. Well, uh, I don't know anybody well, about, who's 100 basically pounds, about, but yeah, a but, quarter of your body weight. Yeah, yeah, a quarter of your yeah. body weight, you know, uh, first thing in the morning. And, and then um, make sure that you start your day off um, controlling your blood sugar. Mm. So I always say your BFF for blood sugar control is PFF. 
Mm. your protein, fats, and fiber. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an interesting kind of phenomenon if you do that in the morning, and that's what we call a second meal phenomenon. Mm. And what that means is that if you control your blood sugar from the very get-go, whatever you choose to do, your blood sugar control is much more flatlined after lunch. Mm. Oh, interesting. So that that 4 o'clock crash thing won't like, happen. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That yeah. where you're reaching for the coffee or the tea, the yeah. chocolate, whichever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why the PFF principle is so important to start mm-hmm. right away in the morning because then what's going to also end up happening is that your blood sugar is going to be much more stable. So mm-hmm. when you do have your splurge or whatever at night, it won't affect you as much. Mm. So, you know, the mentality is, oh, screw it. I'm just going to eat pancakes and you know <laughs> donuts in the morning and I'm going to eat this for lunch and I'm yeah. just going to screw it I'm just going to do everything or at least okay try to eat you know really well through lunch breakfast and lunch hydrate all day and then that night meal won't affect you as much yeah. mm-hmm. it'll still affect you somewhat but not as much as if you just said screw it and just yeah did and that's good practical advice like mm-hmm. for I mean that's something that people can do yeah that yeah, d- doesn't feel intimidating yeah. um yeah. And, and then I'll make you feel better. I, yeah. you know, I definitely experienced that when I started like prioritizing. I'm not great about it every day, but prioritizing, yeah, the protein, fat, and fiber. Fat yeah. is a big component of that. And yeah. I don't think yeah. we always get enough of it. Yeah. Um, and enough of the good stuff. Yeah, know? exactly. Um, um, what, I'm so curious too, what does a day of food typically look like for you? Oh, what do yeah. You eat? For me. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing. And, and I always tell people it's individual in yeah. terms yeah, of what of they eat. So for me, in my, I guess, my season right now, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I still train five, six days a week, and I serve probably three to five times a week, depending on um, mm. if I'm filming or not, my boys <laughs> surfing. Uh-huh. But um, right, like for me, I am intermittent fasting. Okay. And the reason why I do that is for my lifestyle, because the only quiet time I can get is at five in the morning mm. for me to really, and I'm a thinker in the morning. So I drink my 25% of water intake. I make coffee for myself and for my wife. Mm. Um, and then I go in my office and I type or I read or I study or do something. Um, so for me, I don't really want to have to eat with food. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, I'm doing this in the context of my eating habits are really, really good to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would never recommend someone who follows a standard American diet just to go, oh, I'm just doing intermittent fasting. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. You have to meet some definite you know, parameters before you even start to think about that. Right. Um, so, um, so that's the context of why. So basically for me, I usually will train on empty stomach and then I'll break the fast. And basically for me, since I've exercised, then I'll eat protein, fats, uh, protein, uh, and, and some carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And then usually, um, it'll be PFF meals the rest of the, the evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically for me, it'll be anything from chicken, fish, steak, um, you know, any type of protein and then veggies and fats and things like that. Yeah. And I, oh, I was going to say, I want to, like anybody listening to, you put up a lot of great video content yeah. with some tips also about like quality of food being right. important. I just saw something about, yeah. you know, and it's good to know like the difference between grass fed, then grass fed and grass finished versus just organic meat, those right. types of things. Um, so I think like if anybody's interested, look, look, um, look up your videos and check those out because I think they're great little tidbits of information yeah. Yeah. to digest. Um, I yeah, I just try to make them a minute because people are like, oh, like, and I've got great feedback. They're like, I love your minute clips. Like, it's just yeah. like really concise and I just, 
you know, if you can make it concise and get just a tidbit, I think that's pretty valuable and people mm-hmm. can just apply that right away, which is, yeah. you know, kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I have a question about the, the protein of the, the P of the PFS. Yes. Um, you know, so what about your vegan clients or any mm-hmm. vegan or vegetarians who yes. are listening, yeah. you yeah. know, um, how do you recommend they get, like what types of protein do you think is best for them so that they can really nourish their bodies as well? Yeah. I would say in terms of the proteins for a vegan, um, one of the things I think you know you'll notice it in bars and things like that is now they're um, besides doing pea protein and rice protein, mm. they're also doing sunflower and and um, and pumpkin seed mm. um, as as a sort of seed in the in the particular product. But I think um, you know sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, they're very very high in protein. Mm. Uh, versus like a nut for example yeah. mm-hmm. and they and it's actually I, I say it's like a perfect pff snack because it's got good amount of fiber good amount of fat and then the protein content is much higher than a nut that's okay so i would say that would be good for a vegan to you know sprinkle on their salads mm-hmm. you know have it for breakfast um in terms of the vegan approach i think you have to be careful long term mm-hmm. um, of doing it because sometimes if you're not very very um I wouldn't say the word's rigid, but if you're not, you know, cognizant of getting in, you know, specific B vitamins mm. uh, and getting in iron, especially for a female, obviously, yeah. then you risk the, the um, you know, nutritional deficiency over a period of time. That's okay. um, so the more stress you have, then you really have to be on it in terms of getting your, the proper proteins and fats mm-hmm. and the other micronutrients. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they do have pea protein and, and rice protein. Those are things that you can, you can add in there. I tend to still shy away from soy protein. Mm-hmm. I know it's the go-to for vegans, but um, you know, a long time ago, I, I mentioned Dr. Um, Bill Timmons, William mm-hmm. Timmons, who's a founder of BioHealth Labs, and um, I remember when I was first learning from him, and you know, he had he was pretty much my first introduction to gluten and how it can be an issue either digestively, neurologically, mm-hmm. for the skin. Um, but one thing that I always remember from what he said, um, besides that, was that soy can be very problematic for someone on a gluten-free diet. Mm. Okay. So, and the reason being is that um, when when you have a sensitivity to gluten, so we're not saying you're celiac disease, right? right? But you have a sensitivity. So you might break out in, in like um, eczema or, you know, you feel really, really tired after you gluten. The, the It's actually a misnomer. The actual um, protein in wheat product is called gliadin, mm-hmm. to be specific. So what he was saying was that the amino acid gliadin is very similar to the amino acids in soy. Mm. So sometimes there's a lot of cross-reactivity that can happen. Okay. So let's say someone goes on a gluten-free diet, but they're still eating a lot of soy products mm. or soy protein isolate. They might have the same reaction. They might have the same reaction. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that's really helpful to yeah, know. Yeah, so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, we um, always ask our guests, Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any little, I don't know, inspirational readings, books, um, maybe podcasts that you like to listen to? Is there anything, and it could be over the course of your educational journey, yeah. that just sort of stands out to you that's been sort of like a source of either intellectual or creative um, inspiration for you that you would share? Yeah. Oh, gosh. There's so many different books. I know. <laughs> um, like, I mean, I guess from a nutritional perspective, um, I would say uh, probably like um, just a base and foundation for 
quality of nutrients, you know, like nourishing traditions, like Weston A. Price kind of stuff is really, really good. Okay. So Sally Fallon is really good in terms of just a base and foundation and kind of education on fats. Because I think people are still, mm-hmm. you know, still kind of afraid to eat fats. Yeah. Not as much as they were 10 years ago, right. but still kind of, oh, if I eat butter, is that really right. going to affect my heart? You know, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, something that um, I think will be helpful from a nutritional perspective. Um, I really like the book, The Power of Habit. Mm-hmm. I'm really into a lot of audiobooks, So I love that. Um, oh gosh, what's the other book that I just read? Um, I think it's Peter Green, Master. Okay. Yeah, or Mastery. I think it's Mastery. Um, really, really good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank so, or you. an audiobook, yeah. That's so great. And... Um, do you, so you are in uh, Southern California, Correct. but do you take clients remotely? Do you do, how does your, if anyone is interested in working with you or finding you? Yeah. So I do, I do work with people remotely. So via Skype or FaceTime or mm-hmm. on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I do work with international clients as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's a caveat there in terms of lab testing. So typically yeah. with lab testing, um, we'll, we'll drop ship them a lab. But um, depending on what the country is, sometimes you can't get the specimen back in. Uh, so yeah. they always have to check. I say, look, you got to check with, you know, your country. Does UPS allow, you know, you just ship your poop back right. or your saliva yeah. or your urine or whatever yeah. we're testing. Yeah. Um, so that can be, you know, somewhat of an issue. But uh, yeah, no problem. We can do things remotely. That's amazing. And so where can everyone find you on the internet and Instagram? Yeah, so website is robertyang.net. Okay. If you go to .com, you're going to get some actor. So that's, not, that's not me. He's not the actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the actor. Um, and then Instagram, Robert Yang. Um, Twitter, Robert Yang, I-N-C, Inc. Mm-hmm. And then Facebook is just Robert Yang. Oh, wonderful. Great. Thank you so much yeah. for joining Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.